Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And today, we're going to be going through quite a number of things, from coaching staffs to transfer portals to men's catskitball, women's catskitball, and then finally, volleyball. That is literally the entire agenda. So I don't know why I said from to to from, because that normally indicates to. But, <laughs> nevertheless, let's just go ahead and dive straight into it with the football coaching staff news. <clears throat> Which, honestly, I think it came. the news came like a day after we recorded. It did. And it came, uh, gosh, maybe four or five hours after our uh, episode dropped on Friday. Yeah. So, that was unfortunate. Because I figured by the time we got to Thursday, I was like, yeah, and they might wait till next week or something. And then it just happened on Friday, and I was like, oh, yeah. And I, <laughs> the most hilarious part about that is one of the takes that <clears throat> we had was, yeah, nothing will meaningfully change. Mess will probably stay. Four hours later, the world knew precisely how wrong we were. Yeah, because yeah, a mess and Ray both. Uh, got the can or at the very least that it was worded as they will not be returning but like which basically means they were fired yeah so so we'll we'll start with ray because it's a lot simpler ray some something i've noticed is that well i guess it's only like a chance of two now is that if you get moved from positions you're kind of on the hot seat so watch for coaching staff that don't get like immediately promoted. So like obviously if you're an analyst and you become the tight ends coach, yeah, you you're probably safe. Yeah, like, like if anything, you're ultra safe because you like went from like a like much lower position to a position of like much higher responsibility. But yeah, yeah the two guys that swapped uh, position groups, they uh, ended up getting fired. Granted, I think. Messes is unrelated to his position group change. Jason Ray, I think you can tie it back to that just because the receivers, while he was the receivers coach, were uh, not great. And they were, I'd say, marginally better this year. And, and the tight ends just hardly contributed. Yeah, the, the tight ends barely contributed. And what they did contribute was stuff that I don't think Jason Ray, I don't think, I don't think he did anything that anybody else couldn't have done. Like, I can't imagine he did much, at least in the receiving game, from what I could tell. Yeah. Uh, none of the tight ends seemed to make a leap either at any point this year either. Wheeler was roughly the same as he was last year. Like, he might have gotten a little better, but I would say, if anything, that was just from strength development. Yeah, he he's the model for when we inevitably turn Will Howard into a tight end. Shut up, stop talking. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I will not entertain that. <laughs> <laughs> that Will Howard's quarterback, yeah. shut up. Yeah, Jason Ray is very simple. Uh, he his position groups were not very good. He did not really bring anybody in recruiting wise that we know of, at least. Like Oakley he, was sad that he left. Oakley was sad that he left, which is you know it's unfortunate, but like I don't know, it doesn't sound like many other people are like shaken up about it. Like no. at least like to the point of like considering other options. Yeah. Like everything I've heard is that there was just kind of like an understanding. Like yeah, like he's yeah. got to go. Which like. Credit to credit to Jason Ray. He was all class on his way out. So yeah, best of luck to him and whatever he does next. Yeah. And then you have the 
the Courtney Messingham. The elephant in the the A gap power sized elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, Courtney Messingham was informed that he will not be returning. And Kleiman said that it was a difficult decision, but he is here to put to bring K State a Big Twelve championship. And that means that friendships kind of have to take a backseat, which like I massively respect him for. And I think that shut a lot of people up. But uh, I, do you want to keep talking about that? Or do you want to talk about that for a minute? Or do you just want to talk about Mess himself? I'll talk about that a little bit. It was really encouraging to hear because I think Kleiman reacted exactly the way that I expected and honestly hoped. And that it wasn't an easy choice because I'd hope that like getting rid of a lifelong friend was not easy. Yeah. But at the same time, he did what he knew needed to be done for the sake of the program and the rest of the staff. And he, he made the hard choice uh, for him personally, but it was the obvious choice for him professionally. And he was able to uh, put the personal relationship aside and uh, uh, make the tough choice, which uh, is really encouraging. And it's especially encouraging because they just came out and said, you know, our goal is to win Big 12 championships, which some coaches in the conference have <laughs> actively gone against. In fact, they've actively said that their goal is not to win a Big 12 <laughs> championship or whatever. <laughs> like, I know that I've seen people twist themselves in knots about, like, oh, well, you know, it's her, it's her, it's her, or Matt Campbell, like, meant something else. Like, he said what he said. He like, said what he said. He said, our, like, our goal is not to win Big 12 championships. Like, but that's just what he said. Yeah. Like, if he wants greater context for that, he should have shared that. <laughs> yeah. But Chris Kleiman, man wants to win Big 12 titles. We're maybe a little ways from doing that, but at least we know that he's willing to put that ahead of uh, personal relationships, which, like, granted, he probably shouldn't have hired his childhood best friend in the first place. Yeah, no, that, that, that could be considered a bad move. Yeah, but at the very least, he was able to realize it and move on when he needed to. So props yeah. to Kleiman for that. Absolutely. So now let's talk about what we're losing with mess. So we had, part of me really wanted to be a jerk and just say nothing. We're <laughs> losing nothing. No. Um, we have been critical of mess and we have, I think I said it whenever he was in danger of being fired, even when we were giving him a grades for game day grades, we were really grading him relative to what we thought was possible from him. Because if we're talking about, like, grander scheme of, like, if we're talking... Of, basically, the difference is weighing a student based off of what is the best that they can do and if they showed growth versus weighing a student against literally everyone else in the nation. No matter who you are, unless you are the 1% of the 1%, if you weigh against everyone in the nation, you're never going to get an A. So we tried grading on what we thought mess was. The Messingham scale. Yeah, the Messingham scale. But to me, he was never anything more than painfully mediocre and average. And that won't win you football games at the Power 5 level. No. And especially when you're... Because his, his strength was pregame, like, in scheming. Yes. He could not adjust to save his life. No. And 
when he did adjust, it just seemed like he made the exact wrong choice. Like, I, I, I just don't know, like, what he was thinking with the Deuce Vaughn Wildcat stuff. Like, it's head-scratcher still. But, like, I get the idea, but why Deuce? You have Jacardier, if you want to do that. You have Will Howard, if you want to run some power Will, straight Will from the Howard gun. is the objectively better option, and he's your normal quarterback, so people think there is a passing threat. <laughs> yeah. People don't look at Deuce Vaughn and think passing threat, because people talk about Kyler Murray not being able to see over the offensive line. Oh my God. Deuce. He's 5'6". Are you kidding me? Like... Like, a jump pass, he wouldn't even be able to see over the helmets. Like, come on. <laughs> Literally blind firing. Seriously. But, like, yeah, Mess... I'm trying to think about good games that he's called. Maybe, like, the first two non-conference games in 2019 were good games because we played, like, Nichols State and Bowling Green. Yep. <laughs> and just destroyed them. And yeah. other than that... He hasn't had a ton of games where it's just, like, exemplary work from from Messingham. It's been a lot of mediocre to below average. And this year, he was consistently ever so slightly above average, like, on national scale, I would say, for a lot of the year. But he never did much better than that. But the lows were, the lows were my low. God. Yep. Yeah, they were unbelievable lows uh, with mess uh, when things got bad. Like, uh, Iowa State was pretty bad. Uh, obviously, the last two games were pretty bad. Granted, Baylor was more execution than mess necessarily, but the play calls still could have been a lot better to put the team in a better position. Uh, but yeah, Texas was just one of the worst displays of play calling I've ever seen. And I've been a KSA fan for a while. Yeah. And we we can talk about mess all day. But at the end of the day, none of it really matters. So basically, we'll just we'll wrap up our thoughts on mess by saying he was an offensive coordinator who would win most of the games he was supposed to. Maybe every once in a while win a game he wasn't. But he was nowhere near consistent enough to where we, to where he could be considered a solid offensive coordinator in my eyes. Like he was solid, but he wasn't good. Yeah, and it appeared that he almost regressed over the course of the season because, yeah. like, he peaked in the middle, and then it just kind of got worse and worse and worse as it went, and uh, just all snowballed into Texas, of course. Like, where there was just a very obvious path to victory that he just wasn't able to see it. Just try to get too cute with it. Yeah. But yeah, basically everything valuable that can be said about mess has already been said by pretty much everyone in the K-State community that talked about this like a week ago. And so, also us whenever we were calling yeah. him to be fired. Yeah. So there, there's not a lot else that we can say about mess uh, specifically, at least from our point of view. So what we're left with right now is in the short term, uh, Colin Klein, I about call him Chris Klein. <laughs> Colin Klein is the interim offensive coordinator. And I think it's, um, oh, who's the analyst that got moved up? To uh, Brian Lepak. Yeah, Lepak. Um, was it Lepak or Lepak? I have no idea. 
All I know is that I think he was one of the two inter- people who interviewed me for student coaching. Oh, okay. Well, uh, the other one now coaches at Pitt State. Uh, <laughs> got a name? Yeah. Got a name. Something like that. Something like that. Um, so we'll, we'll touch on Klein as the interim uh, before we go into the, the, the last part because, once again, I'm a peanut brain chimp who cannot order things on an outline correctly. So... He was the co-offensive coordinator in eighteen. Uh, yeah, it was eighteen. Which no one really knows what that means. I am interested to see what he does. I be okay. What I will say is that offensive coordinating and quarterbacks coaching are two very different skill sets. And I hope he is considerably better at being an offensive coordinator than he is as a quarterback's coach. Which is not... Okay, yeah, that is me saying that he's a lackluster QB's coach. I don't feel like that's a particularly controversial take. Definitely not at this point. Like, like I, I think that's the prevailing thought at this point, is that he's just not a great QB's coach. So Yeah, but uh, he gets a trial run at LSU. I mean... Yeah, versus LSU, who has their entire team transferring. Yeah, the LSU preview is going to be really interesting because it might be outdated within 24 hours of it going up. Yeah, It might be outdated between us recording it and it going up. Yeah, like in that 12-hour period. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of all the transfers. Like, it's horrible. Yeah, still have Stingley. Um, so far. <laughs> He may declare before he transfers, but... I bet he declares. Um, yeah, so Klein is the interim. I have... Right now, I expect him to... Like, I think his ceiling with such little preparation is like a mid-tier Messingham game. That does not speak to his long-term, because we will talk about long-term on the next question but what, what do you think about him being the interim um i'm interested because as i understand it he wasn't the primary play caller back in 2018 that was andre coleman who's now the receivers coach at texas uh but i also understand that that there was a lot of issues with the play calling in 18 uh not just in what the calls were but also how they were called and perhaps some people not knowing the plays <laughs> and it wasn't client <laughs> but i won't i won't say anything more than that but forgetting like, the playbook moment <laughs> yeah forgetting the playbook moment but uh i'm interested to see what client does because as a play caller i don't know how much of him we've seen i it's impossible to say what we do know about him is that he's a young coach that players relate to and they like him and He's, at absolute worst, a lateral move as a recruiter for Messingham. He's certainly not worse. Absolutely not. Like, so, like, he's at, and that's, like, nightmare scenario. He's, like, a lateral move from recruiter. I would say, realistically, he is a noticeable step up. Yeah. And I think the most important thing is going to be his preparation mm-hmm. for the game as opposed, and like, like, his process and stuff, as opposed to the offensive results because I, I think that everybody's aware that Klein 
does not have enough time to completely change everything about the offense and how it's called and get the signs the way he wants them. And Kleiman would want him to. Yeah, I, I think that's understood. That, you know, this is an audition, but there's also an asterisk next to it where we know that we're not going to get the full picture. And Klein might get hired to be the full-time OC. He might not. But I also think that if he's not the full-time OC, if he remains his QB coach, he's on really thin ice because he's not proven himself as a QB coach yet, at least in the system that Kleiman wants to run. Because he's just, that's just not who he is. He's not a pro-style quarterback. So his development there is, or his ability to develop there, I should say, is lacking uh, significantly, at least from what we can tell from the outside. Like, like we don't know anything. <laughs> hey. Well, we know a little bit. It's, it's very we we get maybe one percent of what actually goes on. Yeah, like and a lot of it is just like literal observation, because I, I don't want to. Oh God, I'm not gonna go on the the rant that I had at the end of the Texas episode, to where it was literally two fixes to fix Will Howard's accuracy issues, both of which should have been solved the second day he arrived on campus. Anyway, it. That, that's really all I have to say. you have anything else before we start talking about, like, the rumors on who the new OC might be? Um, no, other than good luck to Klein, and I'm very interested to see what we get and if it's noticeably different or if it's kind of consistent. Yeah. So now there have been, uh, well, the obvious answer for me, if we had unlimited money, which we don't, would be just go hire Joe Brady. <laughs> yes. Because he just got canned uh, from the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, right? Yeah. So. After 5-7 and seven when the offense wasn't really the problem, when he had, like, was the offense good? No. But he had Sam Darnold, who's been ruined by Adam Gase. Thank uh, you, Adam Gase. Cam Newton with shoulder. Like, I, I think I may have a better throwing chance than Cam Newton does. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, P.J. Walker, who's, like, likable. He's likable and was really good in the XFL. That is the XFL, not the NFL. Like, yeah. so Joe Brady didn't exactly have a lot to work with. And then also Christian McCaffrey, who's made of glass. So, yeah. Interesting choice, if nothing else, to fire him. We'll see if he wants to come back to the college ranks, which maybe. He gets no offers. Kansas State extends league minimum. It becomes the greatest offense of all time under Big Willie Howitzer. Yep. That, I mean, I'd take it. Character arc. Will Howard turns into Joe Burrow overnight. <laughs> Taller, more athletic Joe Burrow. That would be something. It certainly would. Now let's talk about realistic candidates. There have been, or is it three have come out at least through Twitter mostly because we yeah. keep our eye on the Twitter sphere. Yeah, it is uh, Tim, Tim Polasek, Tim Polasek, Matt Wells, and Colin Klein. Yeah. Uh, we've already gone over Colin Klein. I would be fine if he was the OC, and then we got Hedberg as a QB's coach. That would be awesome. I, honestly, that kind of sounds like the ideal scenario. <laughs> yeah, because like the very limited knowledge I have about. Colin Klein in the booth is that he is allegedly a really good reader of defenses. 
up in the booth. Like he's he's very good at seeing what they're going to do. Which being a, a quarterback, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he like despite him not being like the most phenomenal passing quarterback of all time, he still had to read defenses at a high level to be a Heisman finalist. Yeah. Like he can't just be a battering ram. Yeah, he wasn't Johnny Manziel, where he yeah. could just throw it up to Mike Evans every play. Yeah, I, I feel like people just have the Mandela effect with Johnny Football, like, how good he actually was. Because, like, he was a great playmaker, and that was about it. Because, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm a certified hater. Well, I don't know if I'd say I'm a hater. I'm a certified truther with Johnny Manziel. <laughs> I just look at him objectively for what he is. Yeah, which is, like a good college quarterback that also had one of the best receivers that you could possibly hope for. But that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, Colin Klein really could read your defenses. Like, that's all I know about him from a play calling perspective. But the other two guys are totally different, I would say. Yeah, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, let's go... So let's just say Klein is, like, our number... We'll, we'll rank them at the end. Um, let's talk about Polisek first. Polisek was the offensive line coach at Iowa before moving to Wyoming to be their OC, where they were ranked in, like, the 90s or the 100s in scoring offense. Yeah. So you may be wondering, hmm, why is he a candidate for the offensive coordinator job? He's worked with Kleiman before and is a really good recruiter. Yep. Also, I believe I remember reading somewhere that that was Wyoming's best offense in terms of efficiency. Under Craig Bull, and he's been there for like eight years. So, despite them still being really bad offensively, they had their best season, and that included, I think, two or three seasons with Josh Allen. So, yeah, which granted, Josh Allen had a season where I think he had like a 44.9% completion percentage, but that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. But, and as we all know, I hate numbers. So, um, Ace does hate numbers. It's true. I hate numbers. The rumors are true. Never explaining that joke, except for the two people we've already explained it to. Yep. Um, so, let's take a look at also the next candidate, which is Matt Wells, who was the uh, offensive coordinator, no, head coach at Utah State? He was both. Okay. Uh, he was an offensive coordinator, then the head coach. Okay. At Utah State before eventually getting a head coaching job at Texas Tech, where he was fired this last year. And his forte has been quarterback's development, which was something we were sorely lacking. Um, In terms of numbers, which I hate, he is roughly a lateral move from what Messingham did. But here's what the numbers won't tell you. Is that Messingham would take players and they would not develop. Wells would not develop his play calling, but develop the players. And honestly, that is an improvement from what Messingham was doing, where his play calling wasn't evolving and he wasn't developing players. Yeah, because at least he's doing one thing. Yeah. But yeah, Matt Wells is a really interesting candidate just because the one of the main reasons that I am interested in him is because he's kind of a QB whisperer. I mean, he was able to take... Uh, Jordan Love and have him have like an excellent season and then he left and then he immediately just had a bad year and uh, then he went number one overall because of that junior year with Matt Wells uh, the Matt Wells he goes to Texas first round what did I say you said number one overall oh I'm at first round but 
Like, Matt Wells, hmm, he... Bro, you look different. <laughs> Matt Wells, he, uh... Uh, that moves into Texas Tech. Uh, he gets Tyler Shuck, who, well, I don't think he's all that. Uh, he was the top quarterback transfer, regardless. And Texas Tech really needed a quarterback transfer, and he went out and got him. And Matt Wells has proven his recruiting chops for offensive skill position players, which, on offense... That's what we need because we're fine at recruiting offensive linemen because, like, even when we don't get our top targets, we go and find gems and, like, make them good anyways. So, yeah. that's like, like, we could take the easy road, but we'll just, like, take the harder one, I guess. But, yeah. but Matt Wells would be a huge step up for Messingham and recruiting. And I would say, at worst, a lateral move in play calling, maybe a slight step up. Yeah. And, and with better personnel... It'd really be good, especially in his ability to develop players. Uh, I, I would hope to see the quarterbacks take a big step up in their understanding of the game and their ability to process defenses. Yeah. And before we go in ranking what our most preferred scenarios would be from most to least preferred, watch us all be wrong and watch it be like the surprise hire of the year. Yeah. That, it's Edwards, offensive coordinator. Uh, you would be keeping a great secret from me. I would, I would respect that, especially having no coaching experience. So, yeah, you know. But I... Move up fast. That's uh, true. It's a dog-eat-dog world. <laughs> but I think uh, that's entirely possible. That's what happened with strength and conditioning, is Tremaine Carroll came out of absolutely nowhere in that race uh, to see who got hired because all the chatter was around like these random guys that no one had ever heard of, and then we just went out and got Tremaine Carroll, who's like really excellent at his job. And so we're getting Joe Brady. I you can't rule it out. <laughs> but yeah, those are just like the three guys that we know, like publicly, uh, are in the running. Like it's been reported on, or at the very least, been speculated on. Um, we don't have people inside veneer telling us things, so yeah. Like, like we, yeah, we're simply guesstimating at this point, uh, and those are the three. Those are the three options that we've heard in the public sphere, and like there's probably people that we haven't heard of, like Tremaine Carroll with the strength and conditioning hire. Tremaine like, Carroll's the new OC. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. Nothing else, but yeah. So let's do quickly because I just realized how much time we spent on this segment. Let's go quickly from our most preferred to least preferred. Uh, I will say that with, let's just say with Polisek and Klein, we also get Hedberg at QB's coach. Okay. So number one would be honestly keeping Klein, for me at least, would be keeping Klein, get Hedberg. Next would be Wells and just have Wells coach the QBs, maybe move Klein to wide receivers. And then finally, Polisek with Hedberg. Because I just don't believe in Polisek. I think I ranked mine. I think I go Wells first, uh, followed by Klein, then Polisek. But I wouldn't hate Polisek. Primarily just because, as the Iowa offensive line coach, he put a lot of guys in the NFL, and he won a lot of recruiting battles. He has a lot of Kansas recruiting ties. I think that would help us out in Kansas City a lot. So... Polisek could be really useful in the recruiting sphere. Uh, granted, he's not really a, re- a good recruiter in the positions uh, that we need, which is in the offensive skill positions, but we would really be able to beef up the offensive line uh, if he uh, came in recruiting-wise. 
Does it uh, become a triple option team? I we could, I guess. <laughs> Will Howard, triple option quarterback. Uh, I think you mean to say Max Marsh, triple option quarterback. <laughs> but I think that a uh, a Klein would be another good option. Wells, I just really like because I don't know. He just really intrigues me as a potential offensive coordinator, um, both recruiting wise and play calling wise, because he feels a lot different. Uh, than the system that we have and that might be needed because I think Kleiman has his A-gap power system that he wants to run but Wells might be a valuable uh, influx of new ideas different ideas at least guys let's run an RPO what is that (laughs) yeah we ran like two all year both of them worked and then we just never did it again (laughs) yep yep but um, yeah that's my top three Wells Klein Polsek all right, so that'll we'll, we'll inevitably during the off season talk about this again, but now let's talk about transfer portal news. And this one actually sucks. T. Denson has entered the transfer portal, a corner, and he was projected to be the starting nickelback for next year. So I don't get why he left. I this hurts. I really liked T. Like as a prospect in general. The only reason why I could maybe see him leaving is if Justin Gardner decides to come back for another year. Which, that would be kind of strange. It would be weird if he did, because he's not a slot corner, and Echo and Julius are both coming back, so... Yeah, I guess unless he just doesn't have pro prospects and really wants to play football again, and doesn't want to transfer, I guess. Maybe. But, like, still it is a little interesting that he would do that. But, yeah, I am really sad about T leaving as well. T was really talented young corner. He made some splash plays this year. He picked off Carson Strong. Uh, he had the excellent tackle for loss against Stanford in the first game of the year. I was like, wow, he's going to be really good in run support. And uh, then he just uh, transfers out when he was in, he was already getting significant snaps and he was in line to, like you said, he was in line to be a starter next year. And they just transferred out. This is the, really the first transfer that truly hurts. There's a lot of guys that like I'm sad to see go because uh, of potential and whatnot. Like uh, Tyrone Howell, uh, uh, sucks to see him go. Jacardier, uh, Amaris, uh, Joe Irvin, you know that all that all hurts. But yeah, losing T. Denson that that really stinks because um, uh, T. He's a really really good player. I really liked him, but just gonna get him to stick around unfortunately. Yeah. And we're not, we're never going to be those guys that are like, like the Dr. Pepper commercials. Like, you know, I never really saw the upside with him. So you remember the, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> like where, uh, it's like the punter comes through and he's like, hi, the Dr. Pepper. And they're like, ah. welcome to stay. <laughs> but yeah, there's our, that'll be, if anyone's listening to this two years down the line, no one's going to know what we're talking about. But yeah. Aggieville Alley Cats brought to you by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> I would I would take that in a heartbeat. I mean, I would. I would. I'd take any sponsor. <laughs> Please. I... Almost. Most. Moving on. Moving on. Yeah, that's pretty much all we have to say there. That sucks. But now let's get into the weekly recap where we will be recapping men's and women's basketball as well as volleyball. But let's start off with men's basketball. They had two games from our last episode. The first one was, as a good friend would say, a gargantuan W for the KSU Cats 
against the Wichita State Shockers in Wichita. It was six? It was a sixty-five to fifty-nine W for the KSU Cats. And Connor has you for statistics. Yeah, this was a interesting game, if yeah, nothing we'll else. <laughs> um, I got to watch the first half and then like the last sixty seconds, which was most of the good game. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, a lot of the second half is really good as well, but. Uh, it was a really strange night uh, shooting the ball, at least for the Cats. They just didn't do very well there. But they played excellent defense. Uh, uh, Tyson uh, ETN for Wichita State, one of the best players, or the best player on Wichita State, one of the best in their conference. And the AAC is really up and coming uh, for basketball for yeah, now. Until we, yeah, for, until, yeah, until we raid the conference. <laughs> But he only had 11 points on 4 of 20 from the field, and like one of those makes was like in the waning moments of the game. But the Cats, Marquise Noel led with 16 points. Uh, he had 8 rebounds and 4 assists to go with a steal. Casey Uziagu had maybe the best game of his Black Hat career. He had 14 points, 6 rebounds, no turnovers, uh, only 3 fouls, which for him is really good, especially in 25 minutes. Uh, then he had a block and a steal as well. Mike McGurl, he had 10 uh, inefficient from the field, 3 of 11 uh, from the field, 1 of 7 from 3. Um, but he had 4 assists as well, so very valuable there. Then Mark Smith had like the one breakaway dunk at the end of the game. <laughs> and he also and had 7 rebounds. Contributed like pretty much nothing past that. Yeah, yeah 7 rebounds, 3 points, 3 steals. Uh, Ish pursued another quiet game, 2 points, 2 steals, 5 rebounds. Really struggling uh, for the most part to start his career. Selton was good, 12 points. A uh, little bit inefficient, 4 of 11 from the field, 1 of 3 from 3, 3 assists, 1 turnover, 1 block. Then uh, Lukasuki had maybe his best game of his career, uh, 8 points, 1 rebound, 1 turnover, perfect from 3, went 2 of 2. And then Davion Bradford and Logan Landers did not add any points. Davion Bradford had 3 fouls in 5 minutes, which is kind of atrocious. It's horrible. Uh, it's, it's, almost, horrible. it's almost impressive. <laughs> it's almost... Beautiful, but yeah, this was a um, a great game uh, if you're a K State fan because it's a must win because it's been it's been 18 years since the game was played and it, it was nothing from Wichita State fans but like like oh you're dodging us you're afraid to play us so it's like a must win game from a pride perspective if you're a fan if you're Kansas State as a basketball team it's a must win game because you need to build your tournament resume mm-hmm. and they dropped two early. Uh, opportunities to really build up the resume with uh, Illinois and Arkansas. Those would have been massive victories. But beating Wichita State on the road, uh, in-state rivalry, really intense game, that is absolutely huge for building the resume up. Especially because Wichita State is a good team, and they have some good players. I mean, they have road wins against Power 5 schools. They beat Oklahoma State on the road. Uh, I believe they beat somebody else on the road. Uh, I don't recall who off the top of my head. But they're a good. They are a really good school, and yeah. uh, K State played good defense down the stretch. Marquise Noel had the huge three pointer from the logo. <laughs> like like he just only makes logo threes at this point, and <laughs> arm just strength after impressive. The hmm. Arm strength's really impressive. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> like he puts his whole body into him. Like, <laughs> but yeah, just a great game for basketball. And just a really impressive win. Yeah. And the best part is that the turning point for the game 
was when the Wichita State thought it'd be hilarious to try and taunt us by playing Sandstorm when we were behind. Little did they know that that would be their downfall because we completed the comeback after they played Sandstorm. You fools. Yeah, little did they know that we draw our power from Sandstorm. Like, the reason we don't play it in Bramlage is because people know we'd get too powerful and we want to give people a chance. Yeah, we're just, we're just way too nice. It's that Midwestern kindness, so. Yeah. Yeah, we're just being a little overly nice, but. Yeah, maybe we should stop that. Probably. If we played Sandstorm, we wouldn't have lost the next game, and that was the game yesterday from the time of recording. A very painful loss against the Marquette Boyle. Golden Eagles. Golden Eagles? Yeah. Okay. Golden Eagles. Oh, okay. What do you think I said? Eels. Eels. I have no idea what a Yule is. What's a U? Anyway. Like, like Yuletide? I, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this was a painful loss in which Connor and I were both in attendance. Uh, we actually weren't sitting together because uh, I got there earlier because you had chapter. Yeah, I was very, very busy. I was actually able to get there before the game started, though. So, <laughs> for once. Yeah, I, I got covered by the flag. Uh, and also, Tyler <laughs> Tyler was screaming at me. Uh, I was screaming at Tyler. It was mutual. Yeah, number 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler Kolak. He sucks. Yeah, he was being heckled by the student section pretty heavily, which, granted, he went 0-7 from the field, 0-7 from 3, no points. Yeah, Bum. I... Um, I was the one screaming at him that we were tied for points. So if you heard anything like that on the broadcast, that was me. Um, but yeah, this this is a painful loss. It was sixty three to sixty four in favor of Marquette, and you'll go into stats before we go into general takeaways. Yep, this game was led by the transfers for K State: Mark Smith, Ish Masood, and Marquise Noel. They all were the leading scorers. And they played 33, 33, and 37 minutes, respectively. So they were on the floor for most of the game as well. Uh, Mark Smith had 17 points, 6 of 13 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3. Uh, but he went 4 of 7 from free throw line, including two uh, crucial missed free throws down the stretch. Uh, he had 8 rebounds and 3 assists. No turnovers as well, only one foul. So really... Really quality performance from Mark Smith, but he just, it's all overshadowed by missing those free throws there at the end. Yeah. Uh, Ish Masood, he had 16 points, 6 of 14 from the field, 2 of 6 from 3, hit both his free throws, 6 rebounds, 1 assist, 1 steal. But again, a lot of that's overshadowed by the, uh, the, ending. Yeah, the end of the game where he did his own thing moving on <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll talk about that when the time comes marquise noel he had 11 points and 11 assists and eight rebounds so he was quietly two rebounds away from a triple double which i don't know when the last time that happened was because he i think he had the most assists for a wildcat since like 2009 or something like that it's been a while uh but he had 11 points 11 assists eight rebounds uh to just three turnovers so that assist to turnover ratio is excellent and he had three steals to go with it. Granted, one of the turnovers was one of the worst. It was the Marquise Noel moment of the year where he spun out a dude and then immediately threw the ball right into the other guy's hands. Yeah, that was really bad. But 
Uh, yeah. Marquise Noel. Yeah. You're my favorite player. Yeah. I love you, but come on. <laughs> uh, five of 13 from the field, one of seven from three. He was taking a lot of deep threes this game because he made one, and then he just kind of kept going. Logo three! <laughs> uh, Mike McGurl, he had six points. Uh, both of them were made threes, including a clutch one late in the game to keep us in it. And then also, I think he made the first three of the game like really early on. So he scored at the very beginning and the very end and then did nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they had uh, five rebounds, two assists, two turnovers, three steals. Uh, not particularly great. Uh, he really struggled on the floor for the most part. It felt like, um, again, his mistakes were magnified. Uh, he started again over Selton. In KCEZ Agu, he had only two points, eight rebounds, one assist, no turnovers. So really clean performance for KC. He had no fouls. I don't know if he's ever done that, especially playing more than 20 minutes, play 23 minutes. So that's really impressive from KC. Honestly, just need to see more offensive output from him. He only took three shots. Yeah. Uh, then Davion Bradford, he had nine points in 17 minutes with a rebound, a turnover, and a block, the lone block of the night for KC. Davion, he had a big and one at one point and swished the free throw. And he went 4 of 7 from the field and was perfect after starting 0 of 3, I believe. Because he started 0 of 3 and got blocked at the rim like three times in a row and just looked completely dejected. Yeah. And I, I guess he got a pep talk on the sideline. And Bruce reminded him of yeah. Pete the Cat. Yeah, I, I think he was reminded that he doesn't have to dunk it every single time. <laughs> and that... Like he can, if like someone's there, he can just go from a dunk to just laying it up because like his hand's already right there. Like, yeah. like all he has to do is just let that. He can't see it, but I just moved my hand <laughs> slightly. <laughs> and but he actually made some athletic plays, strangely enough, where like he was hanging in the air and like kind of just went from a dunk to a layup. And I was like, I don't think I've ever seen him do that before. I'm like, here for it. Yeah, yeah. Someone, I guess, someone just reminded him that like layups are okay. Like, and he did have a big dunk on a fast break where they forgot to put somebody back to guard him, and he was wide open. And Mark Smith noticed him and just threw it three-quarter court to him, and then he just went up and stuffed it. I was like, okay. All right. <laughs> All right. That's a college basketball moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Selton had one of his worst games as a Wildcat. He only had two points. He had three turnovers, two rebounds, one of four from the field. And then he took an inexplicable pull-up three. At one point, and then we never saw him again. Like, yeah. And, like, his body language was not very good this game. I, I think that might have been part of why we didn't see him again, because he just wasn't contributing in the way that you normally would expect him to. Like, he didn't have uh, any assists. He had three turnovers. Like, just didn't play particularly well at all, which was really unfortunate. But um, it is what it is, especially when Mark Smith is playing as well as he is. And then Lucas Subki. No points, two rebounds, one turnover, missed all the shots, uh, played some all-right defense. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah. So, other than the general note of Tyler sucks, uh, Tyler Kolek sucks. He does. Uh, really bad. Oh, yeah, actually, like, he's bad. Like, he's actually terrible. Bad. Awful. Don't want him. Atrocious. Paid him. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this... Let's talk about that last, that last drive there. That, and quite literally, I do mean drive. Yeah. Why, <laughs> why, when your strength is shooting, and you're not particularly good at driving, 
why is that your last? Yeah. I, I was about to correct you on drive, and then I realized, no, he's actually right. <laughs> no, 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 that was intentional. Yeah. I might be stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Yeah, but Ishmasud, um, I'm assuming basically everybody that's listening to this knows what happened, where uh, they we made the clutch three, fouled a few times because we had some to give, and then uh, they missed the, the front end of the and one, or the one and one, I mean, and perfect best case scenario for K-State at this point because we cut it from a four-point game to a one-point game and they missed their opportunity to make it a three-point game or even a two-point game. And we run down the floor. Marquise has it. We dish it off to Masood, who's a little open from three, pump fakes, uh, drives in, and just keeps driving. And then keeps keeps driving. And then keeps keeps driving. driving. And then is under the net. And then, and then it tries the to net. do a reverse layup from an awful angle that gets blocked by someone that doesn't even jump. And Ishmazud is six foot nine. And it was horrible, horrible play to end on, especially because Masood, um, honestly, in that situation, I want him taking like a pull up mid range, if anything, unless he has a wide open. Uh, and drive to the to the lane, which in that situation, in a one-point game, they're going to constrict their defense, especially when you're shooting 24% from three on the night. Yeah. So, I don't know what we expected there, but Masood, he drove to the basket. It's not entirely his fault. Um, Coach Weber probably should have called a, a quick set to get somebody open, or at the very least just like told Marquise to shoot it from half court or something because that, <laughs> that was a higher percentage shot. It and, really is. That's the yeah. painful part. Uh, Casey, was, I think he was briefly open, and he might have been able to put something up and get a layup. Mike was open, but I honestly don't want him taking that three there. I, he's just not reliable enough, I don't think, at least not at this point. Uh, Mark was open, which I wouldn't have minded Mark taking it one step like a floater maybe because Mark does have a, uh, a good floater. And other than that, there, I guess Marquise could have taken it as well. There are other options. Obviously the game's moving really fast in that scenario, but in that sort of time, you need to have a set play for that sort of situation. Cause you have no timeouts. And there's like 10 seconds left. Like you need to have something in your back pocket that you can say, okay, like, we practice this, there's just much time left, this is a situation, like, we need to run this. And if that's what it was, then yikes. <laughs> but, I, um, I don't know, it was just so disappointing. Because it felt like Marquette really wanted to lose, because they just kept taking threes. Which, granted, we kept giving them the three, because we overhelped uh, nonstop. It was frustrating because they had the wide open kick out three every single play. It was like watching an NBA offense, like <laughs> where they literally just have people stand around and someone drives and just kicks out when like people come to help and they just take a wide open shot and generally miss. And <laughs> generally miss. Like they only shot uh, about five and a half percent better from three uh, than we did, and they missed a lot of threes. I mean, they took thirty seven threes as a team. That's insane. Yeah. Like, and adult, I guess it ultimately paid off because they just said, all right, we're in a high volume shoot. They're going to go in at some point. And they did. But uh, this felt like a very, very winnable game for the Cats. Exact opposite of the Wichita State game, where down the stretch, the Cats did not fold. They figured it out. 
and they played strong and they played within themselves. And this game, it felt like once Marquette was ahead by three or four, we were playing hero ball. Uh, everybody was just taking a deep three, wanting to make the big shot and be the guy that, that hit the shot. And it, that's not how Bruce ball is going to work. No, <laughs> like, absolutely not. You have to play team basketball. Marquise Noel had his 11 assists, so he got his. Nobody else had more than three. That was Mark Smith. And, I mean, Marquise Noel had 11 of 18 assists for the whole team. We had all the other starters had some. Nobody else had one. Like, but it, it was just, this is one of the more heartbreaking losses in recent memory for K-State, especially coming off the Wichita State game where it felt like we were really turning a corner as a team. And even though the difference between a one-point loss and one-point win, when you look at it objectively, isn't a lot, the one-point loss just hurts so much more from a morale perspective. It changes everything. Just those two points. Like, to go back and think about, gosh, we missed probably three layups uh, in this game. Yeah. The day beyond the rim a few times, Mark missed a few. Plenty of very easy shots that we missed. And then Mark missing uh, free throws down the stretch as well. Now, any combination of that. We make one more layup. Mark makes one more free throw. No, game ties where we win. And changes everything. But instead, we're now here where... We basically have to win out non-conference. We need to win at Nebraska. We need, we need to win at Nebraska, and then later this year we need we need to beat Ole Miss and win that Big Twelve ACC challenge. And Big Twelve play, we're at the point where we we might have to win ten games to get in the Big Twelve tournament or in the uh, NCAA tournament. I mean, because or we can just win the Big Twelve and get out of it. I mean, we could do that, <laughs> but the window is closing for this team and with Wichita State it was it all of a sudden became wide open for a few days because that went on the road against a quality opponent that changes everything and then you go out and just it blows up in your face in one game where just a single layup any point that you may have been careless with in the moment that costs the game and that's what's most painful about it that and the student turnout was excellent absolutely one of the best student sections in a while definitely the last time a student section was that good was maybe ku my sophomore year which was 2019 2020 so the year after the big 12 championship but it was the best non-ku student section since the big 12 championship year at least for me and even then like the crowd still still weren't as good as like back in the polling years uh the Beasley, Poland, Clemente, Curtis Kelly, Jamar Samuels uh, era of K-State basketball where they sold out almost every single game. No matter who we were playing, we're barely getting 5,000 people in the gates nowadays. Like, that's less than half of Bramlage. And yeah. this game, the whole student section was full. But if you looked around the rest of the stadium... Gone. No one. Not good. Not good at all. The, the turnouts from... The non-students was atrocious. Granted, I will be fair. I'll throw you a bone. 8 p.m. Wednesday. 8 p.m. on a Wednesday. Alternatively, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) 50,000 people, 55,000 people live in Manhattan. Riley's not that far away. It's not very big, but it's not that far. Junction City 
It's not that far away. There's like 25,000, 30,000 people there. Fort Migo. Fort Riley exists. Well, Migo's around. Topeka's like an hour. Less than, less than an hour. There's a lot of people close to Manhattan. If you can get like about 20% of those people, you sell out Bramlage. And have people just like standing outside as well in the cold for no reason. <laughs> yeah. But, I don't know, that's just me venting frustrations, I guess. But I don't blame people for not wanting to come. Like, it sucks. I'm mad in the moment because I want people to show up and, like, be loud and create a great environment because I'm a little jealous that I wasn't a part of the environments back when K-State was, like, a top 10 team when I was, like, 10 years old. Like, the Clemente Pullen era of K-State basketball. So I really want that now. But it never happens. And I don't, I can't blame people, like, objectively because, like, like, who's going to be motivated to show up as, like, a casual or even, like, like, fairly loyal fan that uh, like you're coming off of a bad year with a lot of turmoil and then the worst season in the program since world war ii like it's going to be hard to ask people to show up for that even students it's hard to ask them to show up which granted they responded they made a big push this week to get people to come to the game and the students they did their part they pulled up and they were there they were loud the whole game and they were uh, they were in tune they paid attention and it was it was really good atmosphere, and I, I was pleasantly surprised. But yeah, I mean, offering free pizza to college students will do that. But. Yep, yeah, that um, iCat jerseys, like everything currently wearing. Yes, it's a really good jersey actually this year. Really it good is. jersey. It's beautiful. Yep, it's it's really good material as well. And they have like one of the one of the retro power cats on the back as yeah. well. Like I like it on the neck. On the neck, but yeah, <laughs> this team. They they saw their instilled boys tournament chances take a huge hit with this loss, like it feels like right now. Maybe they turn a corner in conference play. Bruce Weber teams always peak late. They always do. Back in 2012-2013, we lost some head scratchers in non-conference. And we still won the Big 12. And we're going to do it again. I hope so. Oh, there's no hope. It's happening. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I will choose to believe you. Okay. Hope is a dangerous thing. And you know that better than me. Yes, I do. <laughs> Projecting but, a ten and two football season. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. So the next time the men's basketball team will play, will be up against Green Bay. I swear to you, if I hear another Packers joke, I'm going to rip someone's head off. Uh, it'll be this Sunday, and then the game after that is in Nebraska next Saturday on the 18th. I think it's the Sunday. Sunday? Because Saturday is the 17th, and that's the Oregon game. Correct. Never mind. So, yeah, it's the 18th, and it is on that Sunday in Nebraska. But now let's start talking about the women's basketball team. And, well, the first game we have to talk about is what I will lovingly refer to as a buzzsaw. Because we were absolutely buzzsawed by the number one team in the nation, South Carolina. 65-44. to Yeah. Yeah. If you expected anything else from this game, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Because South Carolina is really, really good. They beat UConn by 15, and that was before Paige Beckers was hurt. So, South Carolina is really, 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 really good. So, I cannot force myself to be upset with this result. Simply because it was supposed to happen this way. So, I can't be too upset you can look at it through a different lens, and that's 
we only lost by 21 to South Carolina. Yeah. And we played them close in the first quarter. It was three-point game at the end of the first quarter, and then they South carolina us. And we won the fourth quarter. It didn't matter, but we did. <laughs> yeah! I'm trying to look for positives. But, like, I mean, there's no... Like, I'm not saying moral victories or whatever, but, like... Like, you know, it's it's things to look at and draw positives from. Yeah, but, like, number one team in the nation. <laughs> yeah. Like, like utilize context for the results of this game, or else you will drive yourself insane. Like, Ayoka Lee led in scoring. She had 14 points, six rebounds, four fouls, three blocks, five of 12 from the field. Uh, Briley Glenn had 10 points, four of 13 from the field, two rebounds, one assist, no turnovers, three steals. Serena Sundell had six points, two assists, two turnovers, three rebounds, two of nine from the field, one of four from three. Other than that, basically everybody else didn't really do a lot. Simone Goodrich had six points, which was kind of weird because she doesn't really score that much. Yeah. K-State only made two threes on 13 attempts, and uh, that's 15% on the game. They shot 26% from the field on the game as opposed to 42%, 43%, I guess, from South Carolina and 31% from three for South Carolina. All South Carolina did shoot horrible in the free throw line 13 to 27 48.1% how i how I, explain i simply don't know looking at it other than they just had a lot of people miss a few which is the only way to describe it yeah and the cats they didn't shoot very well from the free throw line either either they uh went 10 to 17 58% but the cats um if nothing else they are playing a hardcore out-of-conference schedule. Like, it doesn't get much more difficult than what it's been so far. Uh, NC State, they were number five at the time. I think they're higher now. And then South Carolina, uh, the number one team in the country. Then you have Oregon coming to town, which we'll get into a little bit later, I suppose. But all around, uh, you can't really be upset with this result. Uh, NC State's now number two, so we've lost to the number one and number two teams in the country. That's fine. Yeah, you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> that's really, that's okay. Like, I, I, I simply cannot be upset about that. Then, um, uh, and then they're also receiving votes in the coaches' poll. Uh, we got six, uh, six votes from the coaches' poll. Really? Yeah. Huh. And then Oregon's number 22 in the coaches' poll, although they are four and three. Who did they lose to? They lost to UC Davis... South Carolina, go figure. Okay. And South Florida, who is also ranked, which is also kind of weird. So uh, we're not messing around with our non-cons. Yeah, South Florida is number 19. So, yeah, you got a ton of ridiculous non-conference schedule from the from the Midi Cats. And, yeah, South Carolina, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. Like, lost to number one team, it's okay. Yeah, that happens. It's like losing to Bama. It happens. Yeah. <laughs> but... Now we get to talk about lighter news in which the women's basketball team picked up a W against the University of Omaha, who we seem to play at least once in every single one of our sports, except yeah. for football. Yeah, I don't even know if they have a football team. They probably don't, but we ended up winning because they'd have to compete with Nebraska. But, oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, they, the women's basketball team won 87-56. to It was quite the dominant victory. And it was also happening the same day as the Marquette game. However, it was in Omaha, which is strange that we would go to Omaha for anything. Yeah, that's odd. But, like, scheduling conflicts, I guess. Yeah. 
Anyway, you have statistics. Yep. Aoka Lee, she led with 19 points, 8 of 17 from the field, 8 rebounds, 1 assist, 2 blocks, 2 steals. Jalen Glenn had a very nice day, 16 points, 5 of 9 from the field, 4 of 7 from 3, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 3 steals. Serena Sundell continued to play admirably as a true freshman, 12 points, 4 of 8 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3, uh, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 turnovers. She's been really, really good. Briley Glenn also started 9 points, 3 of 7 from the field, 1 rebound, 2 assists, 1 turnover, 1 steal. Emily Ebert also started, but she didn't really do a whole lot uh, in the scoring department. She had 4 points, 2 of 4 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3, 8 rebounds, 6 assists, there's 1 turnover and a steal. And then you look past that, Laura Mackey had double figures. Uh, Rebecca Dollinger had 9 points, uh, 3 of 10 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. So she was just raining from three-point land. No assists, no turnovers, two blocks. Jada Moore had six points, perfect from the field. Two assists, but she did have four turnovers and two rebounds. So Goodrich had two points, made her only shot, had four assists and two steals. Taylor Lauterbach had a single rebound in seven minutes. Okay. okay. <laughs> <But> Literally okay. <laughs> this game is basically summed up by the first quarter in which the Cats outscored Omaha 36 to 9. <laughs> I watched it on my phone and it was just the was it as dominant as the score. Tells? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. It, it it was baffling to watch because we were just wide open every time and we were making the 3 almost every single time. And when we weren't doing that, we just throw it into Yoko Lee and she just turn around and shoot and she'd make it <laughs> and it was exactly 36-9, to 9, like how you would look at it. I believe it was the most points scored in a quarter ever for K-State, which granted quarters haven't been around for that long in women's basketball. Yeah. But then the rest of the game was more modest. Uh, ended up 87-56. to 56. But the Cats just absolutely dominated for the first half and then kind of took their foot off the gas in the second half, which, I mean, they didn't really need to do anything crazy. They shot 50% from three, 16 of 32, which was their most made threes in a game ever. 30 of 63 from uh, the field, 47.6%. So actually shot better from three point land than from the field. Only missed two free throws and went 11 to 13. Uh, Omaha, they did not shoot as well. I'm not going to really go into it. They had one person get 17 points, one person get 15 points. Everybody else uh, really, 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 really struggled. So, yeah, just absolutely dominant victory from the cast. Only 311 people went to this game, which is... Omaha moment. As an Omaha moment. But women's basketball, the best way to describe them right now is they are destroying everyone that they should, losing to incredible teams. Yeah, they're losing to buzzsaws. Yeah, when they play the number one and number two teams in the country, they lose by 21 points, exactly, which is what they've done both times. And when they aren't doing that, they're... Most of the time, destroying everybody. Other than that one game where it was, I think it was either North Carolina A&T or like Western Kentucky or something, where it was like a 44-30 to 30 game. I think it was, that was Western Kentucky. Now, just one of the worst basketball games I've watched my whole life. But they are a far cry from that team. So, it will be interesting to see where the season goes. Especially if they can get uh, Heavenly Greer and Rachel Ranke back. Because Jeff Mitty has recently said that he thinks they can have them back for conference play, which if they can, this is a tournament team. Absolutely. 
So we the next women's basketball matchup will be at South Dakota State this Saturday, and then will you be making the? Wait, is that here? I assume it's here. I believe it's here. I think it is. TBD. Say some things to distract people. Okay. Uh, if it is here, we will probably try and make an appearance. It is not. It's in South Dakota. Why are we going to South Dakota? So we will not be making an appearance at this game. We will not be making an appearance. However, next Saturday at Dollar Day, uh, we are staying an additional day to watch the women's basketball team. Our finals are wrapped up. Uh, finals week will be over next Friday. Yeah. So uh, if we if we sound very tired on Thursday's episode, it's because we are. It's because we are. <laughs> Ye oldie four papers do. <laughs> yeah, luckily all my papers are due this week, so. One was due this week, but still, presentations and such. Yeah. No one's here to listen to that. Um, though we may have a surprise Tuesday. Um, <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, go support women's basketball. Then, finally, we only have one more thing to talk about, which, you know, looking at the time, I'm glad we only have one more thing. And that is volleyball, who unfortunately had their season ended in quite the embarrassing, well, not embarrassing, but quite the disappointing way, getting 3-0'd by Florida State in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, uh, it was pretty tough to watch at times, I will say, because I did watch this match on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, K-State, they're very much in uh, this game, and they... Uh, Dropped all three sets. Lost the first one 25-20. Second one 25-16. Third one 25-17. And it it made sense. Like, just watching. Florida State was very clearly better than we were. Yeah. It wasn't particularly close either. Um, when they wanted to dominate, they did. And we had our opportunities to win um, sets. And we just kind of fumbled it. Like, yeah. we had a lot of unforced errors. Fumbled and, bag. Yeah. Tons of unforced errors in this game. And we only had one offensive game plan, which was just to feed it to uh, Aaliyah Carter. And that sometimes worked, but a lot of times it didn't. We gave her 37 attack attempts. She only had 9 kills to 11 assists, so she had a negative hitting percentage on the night. Then Holly Bonday at 35 attack attempts, seven kills, four errors. Just a real struggle to find ways to attack Florida State defensively. Just they they had an excellent defensive line. It was a real struggle for us to get past them, and then they would come back and kind of get through our our line really easily. Just. I don't know, just felt like error after error for us, especially because we had 24 errors as a team. They only had seven attack errors. And if that's how it's going to be, you're going to lose every single time. Yeah. Like, they had someone go 14 attack attempts, eight kills, no errors. Like, what? Like, they had someone go 18, what, 18 attack attempts, 18 attack attempts, 11 kills, no errors. Like, that's the only thing that's missing from Aaliyah Carter's game is efficiency. Because when she gets it, uh, over the net a lot of times she's going to hit it but she does get blocked at the net a lot and then also she did uncharacteristically have a lot of unforced errors just like hitting it too long hitting it just a little bit out lots of opportunities 
to get in this game, especially a few sets where we were leading, not just in the set at any point, but late into the set. And we just kind of blew it, honestly. And that's the difference between being a tournament team and not. And we were a fringe tournament team. Uh, you could tell because we were one of the last four in. And, and we, we played like it. And the season, unfortunately, is over. But the future is bright for the Volley Cats because they bring back most of the squad. I think they only graduate three seniors. And they also just broke ground on the new volleyball arena uh, just yesterday. Or now, two days ago from when this episode will be up. So yeah, that'll be done, I think, in two years. And the same thing goes for the uh, football indoor practice facility. Yeah. In two years, you'll be back, but I won't be, right? Or you... We'll both be still in law school, but... Yeah. We... Will you be back here for that third year? By that mm, point? Not by then. Okay. But yeah, because that's the one year that we have overlap. Yep. <laughs> we, we each have one year each, and we're like, well, what are we going to do? But anyway, <laughs> either here nor there. Hi, uh, Ace and Connor from One Hour Later here, where we have emergency commitment news. The cat signal was sent out approximately 20 minutes after we finished the episode. I was making pork chops. Connor was chilling out in my kitchen, and then we both noticed the cat signal released by the bringer of cats, Taylor Brett. And it is for the Pennsylvania defense, I was about to say defensive tackle, offensive tackle, Jalen Clem who comes in at an 8.739 three-star on 24-7 and a 5.73 star on Rivals. He is the son of current Steelers... Huh? I was mouthing his first name. Adrian? Yeah. Adrian Clem? Yeah. You could have just said it. Adrian Clem. He's the son of Adrian Clem. I don't want to mess up your flow. I, I have no flow. <laughs> <laughs> He's the son of Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach Adrian Clem. And by that very nature, you would expect him to be reasonably technically sound. We haven't gotten time to, you know, dive into film on him. But his current measurables are he is 6'5 and a half at 260 pounds. And that kind of fits the mold for what Connor Riley, developmental tackle prospect. I don't know. It's just an exciting commitment. Of course, it happens after we recorded the episode. So we have yeah, to come back. After this couldn't have happened and, uh, like an hour ago. Yeah. But... Who did we beat, Connor? Uh, well, actually, quite a few Power 5 schools have offered him, including... No, that can't be right. Including, well, I'll get to them. I'll say them last. <laughs> we beat out Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Kentucky, NC State, Vanderbilt, Washington State, interest from Iowa and Penn State, and then Nebraska. We beat Nebraska. He visited Nebraska, and he held an offer from Nebraska. And yeah. we finally took a recruiting dub. Finally. Who's to say if the offer is committable, but I doubt he's taking a visit if it's not... not if, if, if they've offered and he's that highly rated and he's taking a visit, it's unlikely that offer is, like, not committable. Absolutely. Like, and Penn State, he did take two visits to without an offer, but that's an in-state school. Like, and they also kind of just have the power to just, to do, like, that. To just do that because they're good and nebraska is not so yeah but uh, jalen clem uh six five two sixty two uh the highest rated prospect on the rivals database for the cats at a 5.73 star which are the highest three star that you can be on 24 7 as i said he says 0.8739 uh three star on the 24 7 composite 
puts him at the 569th nationally rated recruit, 49th offensive tackle, 16th best in Pennsylvania. And he's from Pine Richland High School in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. I've never heard of that. I'm not super well versed in Pennsylvania geography. Maybe I, it's I will admit, Downington. Possibly. I'd imagine it's, well, I don't know. Maybe. Downington's kind of close to Philly. And since his dad is a Steelers uh, mm. O-line coach, it's probably closer to Pittsburgh, which they're kind of on opposite sides of the state, I think. I, I'm not the most well-versed in the geography of Pennsylvania. We might be stupid. We might be a little bit stupid, but that's okay. But, yeah, I haven't been able to break down film on him other than uh, he's basically the archetype of what this staff likes in an offensive tackle prospect and that he has a frame to build into as opposed to having to cut down weight and he has good height and I believe he also has pretty long arms. So he's pretty much exactly what Connor Riley wants from a prospect. So can't really go wrong with Clem, at least from the very little that we know about him thus far. But more information will be uh, surfacing about him in the coming days. And we will hopefully have a little bit more to say about him in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this concludes this emergency segment. Don't stop. We have to do the outro. Yeah, I'm just putting the okay. cursor there. <laughs> hey, 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 whoa, whoa, hey. But yeah, that concludes this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact us, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to email us, we are AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. If you want to support the show in a more financial sense, we're always looking for sponsors. But if you want to get some merchandise, we have the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, which has such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards and Neon Alley Cats. And most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>